Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Welcome to our Team Embrace episode. What you're about to hear is an actual conversation that we had with a group of athletes on World Mental Health Day. It reinforces a message that we try to deliver frequently throughout a season. Once the grainy audio ends, Alex and I sit down and talk about how we at The Good Athlete Project approach the topic of mental health in an athletics setting. Shortly after, we sit down with Melissa Molitor, director of Embrace, which is a mental health foundation focused on destigmatizing the conversations surrounding mental health. Melissa is a former athlete and coach and her work at Embrace has been vital in the messaging of The Good Athlete Project. Coaches, parents, athletes, this is one of the most important conversations we should be having with our young people. If you're part of a team, if you're part of a family, there should always be someone to talk to. If you're surrounded by good people, then there's no problem that you can't overcome except for the ones that don't want to dress. Right? I think that logic is pretty clear. So being willing to have a conversation uh, to facilitate and, and welcome open communication with the team is huge. Okay? And that transcends sport. That goes into everything. Our effort is to check in and check on your teammates. The idea would be this for us. We all, the metaphor, the analogy, uh, comparison to a family is frequently made within athletics. You guys heard that? Everyone's heard that. We're, we're a team, we're a family, we care for each other. That's something that's thrown around. Uh, and one of our goals is to make sure that you acknowledge it and you mean it. Families look after each other, families take care of each other, and they have open dialogue. Okay, so check in and check on your teammates. If you've got something going, and that includes coaches, okay, if you've got something going on, don't leave it under the surface because then it has the potential to fester. Go to someone you trust and have an open, honest communication. There is almost always something to be done about whatever you're going through, right? Um, And you are, in my opinion, everyone who's part of the team uh, should feel lucky they have that immediate, automatic, no questions asked support with you. And you'd be smart to take advantage of it. Does that make sense, everyone? So especially on a day like today, I just want to kind of peel that back. Jim, could you give us a little bit more context behind what was being said? Yeah, so we were talking to a team who had not yet entered their taper. It was a swim team, and that, pro- that alone probably requires a little bit more explanation. So our teams work really hard in the pool or on the field in this case on the pool, in the pool, uh, and in the weight room all throughout their season. Um, their in-season lifting programs are highly choreographed, programmed very specifically, and the idea is obviously to peak the athletes uh, for their uh, for the state championship. That's the idea, that we want to be swimming fast, healthy and fast uh, at the end of the season and post some of our best times uh, at the state meet. So we push, we work really hard, these athletes were working really hard in the pool. They were working really hard in the weight room. They're doing two-day practices. They're they're doing things that most other teams aren't willing to do. And obviously, you know, we see that as a significant advantage. You know, the willingness to do things that other teams aren't willing to do that'll pay dividends to the back end. But they're at the hardest part of their season, essentially. Taper is essentially when we pull back. You know, off the lifting, off the swimming and really focus on health and wellness for the sweet spot we usually use is anywhere from six to nine days uh, at the back end of a season. So they'll go from doing all this work to 
you know, pulling back, we call it elevator time even, you know, really getting off their legs and letting themselves get well before, you know, letting their bodies heal, letting, you know, their psychology, their right. minds heal in, in a way and, and uh, being confident, fast and healthy um, going into the state meet. But the point that we were at in the season, we had that conversation, it's it's like grueling. It's it's the peak before the taper, before the peak, if that makes sense. So they're yeah. doing a lot of work. It's already been a long season. And logically, these you know, if you looked at the, the calendar, you'd be like, oh, we're only a few weeks out. We're <laughs> good, you know, we should be okay. But um, psychologically, you're still waking up early in the morning. Your body is still tired. You're still psychologically drained in some ways, especially because so many of our athletes are so driven in other areas like academics that you know that's where that conversation picked off it was also world mental health day to provide more context we right. had that conversation specifically because it was world mental health day and to a group who we thought could use a little pick me up i guess yeah you know they're they're at a tough stretch so absolutely that'd be the context so how did this get started the idea of talking about mental health in the weight room with our teams this should be obvious by this point, but we, we definitely want to use the weight room for more than just lifting weights. Right. We take the goal of, in I'll be very, you know, I'll use this team as the example. We take the goal of winning a state championship. You know, that's what they want. That's what they know they want. That's what they're striving for. And we as facilitators of this experience kind of mold it in other ways that are going to be super beneficial, not only in their, you know, in the pursuit of their goals, but to make them well-rounded mm-hmm. individuals. You know, so in the weight room, we talk about academics, we talk about community, we talk about sleep, we talk about nutrition, we talk about all these things that will ultimately lead toward overall human development. We use the sort of the carrot of state championship because that's what the kids want, that's Mm -hmm. what kids are listening to, and we mold it just a little bit differently. I I mean, I think where you're going with this is... um, why this at our place? Yeah, why yeah. why speak about mental health? So mental health at our place, like I, I mean, it's a real issue in the world. Is one of course. Uh, it's a war, it's an issue that's been stigmatized, mm-hmm. and the, truthfully, we, we lost someone really close to the program about a year and a half ago to suicide, and like it was a it was a member of our staff. It was someone that we knew and loved and really cared about, and I think um, it was really a surprise to a lot of people that this person was going through so much. And the thing that stung about that experience, other than the obvious tragedy for everyone, uh, including especially his family, was that um, I, you feel like you want, you wish you could have done something. Yeah. And I, and I think what we want to do moving forward is peel back whatever barrier exists between athletes who are trying to be tough and and physical and competitive you know getting past that barrier and getting getting people the help they need when they need help right and and because that's a thing that exists that's a construct in so many ways not just athletics but like it isn't it doesn't it's certainly you wouldn't describe talking about one's feelings and their uh you know in their most delicate and moments and vulnerable moments you wouldn't describe that as a tough behavior and meanwhile we've got a culture that is pushing toughness and and let me be very clear this is an interesting balance that we're trying to achieve in the weight room and in these conversations because we want our kids to be tough yeah 100 like yeah. that's what we're after physical and mental toughness is um you know when pointed in the in the right direction i mean that that has the potential to determine success on the field for sure. We want it. We want this for the kids. Um, we are building that. But those things don't have to be separate. Right. Right. You can be like whatever. You're feeling what you're feeling. 
and and if you're down, the idea is we want to make sure that kids know that they've got someone to talk to, um, that you can be you can bowl people over on the field, okay, and then reach out to a teammate if you need help. You can make a you know a, a, a tackle on fourth and one, stop the guy, and then notice something about your teammate and put your arm around him and be like, "What's up, man? I mean, is everything okay?" Those don't have to be separate. No, and right? they shouldn't be. I mean, not if we're actually worried about human beings. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and just listening to you talk about the the situation with our staff over this uh, past year that we uh, went through last year, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. Like, I, I hear you talk about it, and I get emotional myself. And just how many people are willing to listen and how that just may be something that – the person that's struggling may not even realize like there's so many people that are willing to talk and willing to listen and they care about you and they love you and maybe sometimes you don't realize it and it's it's not the fault of you know either party necessarily but i think it's important what we're talking about right now of making sure like you said that we have people that are keeping an eye out for their teammates and keeping an eye out for this this kind of thing yeah there's no fault in in the truth is like it's such a complicated thing. Of course. It's funny, you hear people talk about this sometimes as if they know what someone in that situation is going through and the truth is, that you, like, you don't. Right. You don't. And, like, we're not saying that, and who knows, maybe, I don't know, I think jumping to any conclusion is f- foolish. Of course. Um, but to, to make sure that the kids know that it's out there, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying it's going to save lives. Right. Right, but it might... If, if, if one of the issues one is going through is that they feel like they're going through this stuff alone, being part of a team should be an, a, a, of some sort of automatic assistance. Yeah. Right? Like, like you're not, if for nothing else, you are not going through this alone. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I have the answers to everyone's problems, but I promise you, anyone who ever has been on a team of mine or any team that I've coached, or I'm at least willing to, to talk and have a conversation, try to work through things. I hope that's an empowering thought. And when we have this conversation with kids, so frequently it feels like it's the first time they've had that conversation. Yeah. And that, uh, I think it should not be, well, when you think about it like that, it's kind of crazy because it's not unique to this space, this space being athletics, Mm -hmm. but it's somehow more special in the space, I think, right? I know that there are so many advocates within a school, within a community mental health is is coming out into the open more and more people are talking about it more and more um but there's just something about like being part of a team that that should be able to break that open mm-hmm. right you can talk about it in health class or history class or something like that uh, and that's good i think that's really good and we should you know whatever whatever strategy a school takes to to de-stress their population or to aid the mental health and wellness of their population. It's all good, but there's not many places like sports where you can say, here's the idea, here's the idea, and here's the person that you can go to, right? And, and the person is sitting right next to you. And it's not an artificial construct. I mean, just think about what those kids that we talked about recently were going through. Those kids spend like, it, it's like their family, which is a, a, a unique dynamic on its own, mm-hmm. and then it's their team. Yeah. They spend more time with their team than anyone else except for their family, and maybe more than their family when they're in season. Yeah, seriously. Like, like this is like a pseudo family. Like you, I'm not, and I'm not going with like a cliche. I'm saying like you spend time with them, you care about them, right. you go through ups and downs together, all this stuff. So it just feels like a very natural conversation to have in athletics, mm-hmm. and we think it ought to happen 
more often. How do you reinforce these messages uh, other than just having the conversations? Is there anything that, that's done to stress the importance of it? Yeah. So we model it. That's mm-hmm. one big thing. So we model it within our staff at school. It's like, you know, we're having open conversations with members of the staff, with other coaches in the school. We're having open, honest conversations with the kids. So modeling it is really important. Mm-hmm. Really, really important. And then just the language that we use, you know, revisiting it now and then. We always, actually, it's funny, Ron McKeefrey, I just was listening to one of Ron's podcasts. I'm, ex- I'm excited because I will be on Ron's podcast Very in exciting. the future. And he's a, he's leading the field. I'm really, really pumped about it. And he's genuinely a good guy. Um, but on one of his recent ones that I was listening to, he brought up this, uh, you know, the five minutes before and the five minutes after the workout, how important that time is. Like the the setup and the breakdown, right? How you're framing the experience is so important. So we just have to make sure that every so often we come back to it. You know, long in the in the dog days of winter when we are at school at somewhere around 6 a.m. And, and we do, the sun is not up and we leave and, and the sun has already gone down, you know, yeah. the dark, long, cold days of winter. Uh, that's a perfect, perfectly authentic and, pro- and necessary time to have that conversation with kids. So Multiple times over the year, we'll come back to it. So I, that's it. It's we model it and we frame it with language and return to that framing. Great. So this next part, you're going to be talking with Melissa from Embrace Mental Health, fantastic mm-hmm. organization doing uh, fantastic work uh, in this field, and she's going to give us some more insight into mental health. Yeah, Melissa's great. Former athlete, coach from a family of athletes. Um, has a very special relationship to the cause, and uh, I think she'll have a lot to offer. Absolutely. Good conversation. My name is Melissa Molitor. I work for an organization called Alyssa's Mission and recently started uh, the chapter called Embrace Mental Health. I'm a huge fan of what the Good Athlete Project is doing. Too kind. And love uh, everything that they're doing and love how we can collaborate here with uh, what we're doing at Embrace Mental Health and how we can bring suicide prevention education and education around mental health to the work that you guys are doing. I went to Nutrier Mm -hmm. and played field hockey and lacrosse. Some of the best years of my life on on those teams. One thing that I love about being on a team is having that community kind of built in around you and some of my teammates I still talk to today. Very cool. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Embrace. Can you, t- well, actually, maybe give us a little bit more about the background of Alyssa's mission, how, uh, how you got involved with that, and then where Embrace came from. Sure. When I was a sophomore at Nutrier High School, a very dear friend of mine, Alyssa Myers, took her life. And it was a couple years later that her family started the nonprofit organization, Alyssa's Mission. I was on the board of that organization for about eight years before I joined the team full-time. After being at Alyssa's mission for a couple months, I realized that we were doing a great job of getting the education to middle schools and high schools, but one area that we were missing was the college population, Mm -hmm. college students. And there had been several suicides in our community at the time and really wanted to bring education to young professionals, young adults in college and and right out of college. So the idea of Embrace Mental Health came from several close friends of Alyssa's and 
also other people in the community who had been affected by suicide. Our goal is to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental illness mm -hmm. and also bring education to college campuses. Do you know, are there are the statistics much different from high school to college? Well, suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 24 year olds. Okay, so they overlap for sure. Yeah, they definitely overlap. And one thing about suicide is that 90% of people who die by suicide have a diagnosable mental health disorder at the time mm. of their death. It's usually depression um, or substance use disorder. That is really intriguing, actually. There's all, I mean, it's true that the term, um, help me with this, I don't want to misspeak at all, but silent suffering is, mm -hmm. is clearly a component of what seems to be that seems to be what's most troublesome to people when something like this happens, right? When, when someone dies by suicide. And I'd like to get into the language of that in a moment too. But that idea that 90% that have been diagnosed with something might indicate that there are indicators or at least, or at least I don't want to call them warning signs, but uh, would you mm -hmm. say that people diagnosed with a uh, mental disorder or substance use problem, are, the, are they... How do, you, how do you keep a close eye on without patronizing or, or vic, you know, making people feel like victims? Or Does that make sense at all? Sure, yeah. yeah. A lot of times when people die by suicide, they have a diagnosable disorder, but they mm -hmm. haven't been diagnosed yet. They're untreated. Oh, I see. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's an important thing. And then the die by suicide. Mm -hmm. Help me with this language because this was new to me as of a month ago or whatever that was. Yeah, so the term used to be committed suicide mm -hmm. as what people used to say and the word commit is often associated with negative things, committing a crime. Mm -hmm. And with suicide, there's an illness usually that goes along with it, depression. Yeah. And so how what, what killed the person was their depression, was the mm -hmm. disease, and how they ultimately died was by suicide. Hmm. That's an intense and probably way more accurate way of looking at it. Yeah. Seriously, that, one of the things that we're really interested in is doing that work to look closely. When you talk about breaking down a stigma, that, that it's true, that language, committed, feels like a, uh, a conscious, violent, law-breaking act. Mm -hmm. That's certain, that, that certainly lends itself to the stigma. You know this, but we're trying to use athletics to, to do that a little bit. We have a campaign the What Tough Is campaign. Actually, we have a, we're going to be putting a video out soon with Des Clark. Does that name sound familiar? Mm -hmm. he, he took the Bears to a Super Bowl, mm -hmm. um, played 11 years in the NFL. We've got Des and a handful of other guys who are, by any sort of outsider perspective, tough. Uh, you know, like it's, it's hard to argue that a fullback tight end in the, that played 11 years in the NFL would, would be anything but tough. And what we, what we like to do is have a guy like Dez say, here's what tough is. Try to, you know, try to stop me on fourth and one. That would be tough. Turning your back on a teammate, not so tough, mm -hmm. right? Opening up lines of communication within a team uh, both enhances the team, enhances the likelihood of success on a team, and in a way, way more probably important obvious way might be able to get in front of a lot of these issues, which are far more prevalent in athletics that, than people assume. Partially because in athletics, you, you almost have to put up a veneer of confidence at almost all times. Does that sound accurate? Yes, yeah. definitely. I think as athletes, people put up that front like, mm -hmm. like they're tough and really inside they're suffering, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, those silent sufferers um, are struggling. Yeah. 
And like you said, being tough is making that winning tackle. Um, mm -hmm. Being tough is also checking in on a teammate after mm -hmm. a game, after something hard is going on at home or right. um, they're going through a breakup or their parents get divorced. Yeah, for sure. The reason that we have taken that approach is because we really want to do, we, we really do want to talk to the people who are in these positions. And I think you and I both recognize that as adult human beings, I'll say this, you don't even have to say it, so I won't, I won't put words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm thinking back to my time as a football player to have like really pulled back the veneer that we talked about and and opened up to a teammate like in the locker room when he was feeling down would have been tougher than making a tackle or something like that. Um, and that, I, and I mean that in no, I, I, we try not to lean on cliches here, but like, I mean that absolutely, that would've been much harder. And that's, which is why people don't do it as, quite as often. But somehow tapping into that idea of what is most commonly referred to as tough seems like the entry point mm -hmm. for us. What does that look like? Like what, what's the entry point? It's maybe not what tough is, but, but when you go to college campuses, what's your way in? Why are they listening to you? Do they recognize the issue already? Is that why they've come to you or what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, people are struggling with depression, anxiety, and, and different mental health disorders mm -hmm. everywhere. People go to their friends when they're struggling and they talk to their friends about what's going on. And so if people know what to look for, if they know mm -hmm. the warning signs, if they know the red flags, they can then know what to do um, to help their friends. So we teach an acronym called ACT, Acknowledge, mm -hmm. Care, and Tell. Uh, acknowledge the warning signs that you're seeing in yourself or a friend. Let your friend know that you care about them, that you love them, that they don't have to feel this way. And then with our younger students, we tell them to tell a trusted adult. In college, the T turns into treatment. Mm -hmm. They need to get to treatment. They need yeah. to get, th get that help. Depression is a very treatable illness. Yep. We tell students that when someone has diabetes, they take insulin, mm -hmm. right, to help get their blood sugar where it needs to be. When yeah. someone has asthma, they take their inhaler. And depression is the same kind of thing. If you don't treat it, mm -hmm. um, just like if you didn't treat diabetes or asthma, you're going to get worse right. and the illness is going to get worse and you, yeah. you could die. Mm -hmm. Same thing with depression. If depression is left untreated, it could lead to thoughts of suicide. Right. Um, so that's why it's so important to get help when you're feeling um, like something's not right, when you're feeling really sad or irritable. And yeah. it's important that, that students know what to look for. What, yeah, I was just gonna say, what are some of the most <coughs> obvious warning signs, would you say? So with depression, you really wanna look for personality change. So this could, this could look like withdrawal from friends or an activity that the person used to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Could look like loss of energy, someone crying a lot, um, changes in their eating or sleeping, feelings of worthlessness. Um, the number one warning sign for suicide is when someone talks or writes about death or suicide. Mm -hmm. So if they say something like, I, I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this anymore. You won't have to worry about me much longer. Yeah. My family would be better off without me. Number one warning sign. And yeah. a lot of times lately this, this looks like written in written mm -hmm. form. So in a post on Instagram or Snapchat, say, yeah, for sure. I'm going to text to a friend and 
that's a really scary thing to receive a text like that or to see a post online. And what's so important and what we always tell students is when they see something like that and it doesn't sit right with them, they need to do something right, right away. They need to call that person. They need to go check on them if they can get to them quickly. And if they can't, they can call 911. And right. while that seems extreme, it could be saving that person's life. Absolutely. The, the, the social media thing jumps out to me. For sure, I, w- I would imagine that that's happening regular, very regularly, daily. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> breaking down whatever barrier it might be, there seems important as well. So, like, if you see that, well, if you see that, what, who do you tell? So, you want to tell. You see something that doesn't sit well with you from a friend on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Who do you go to? You can go to a mental health professional mm-hmm. um, if if there's a social worker or like psychologist in built yeah. in in a, mm-hmm. in a school setting or um, what if it's like a Saturday and I see something that is alarming to me and that happens all the time yeah. right so you could be a coach and you could have a player come to you and share feelings and they say you have to promise not to tell anyone mm-hmm. and you know you love that kid and, and yeah. you don't want them to be mad at you but you need to keep them safe mm-hmm. so as a coach you need to follow the protocol of your school and, and tell student services, call that student's parents. Right. Um, as a teammate, you know, it's even harder that yeah. you are an adult, an adult, you're their friend and, and you don't want to break that promise, but you also want to get your friend help. So the most important thing is to not promise confidentiality. Right. And you need to, you need to do something. You need to tell someone, um, an adult or someone in the mental health field who can direct you in the right way to go. Yeah. That's so hard for a kid. For, I, I'm just thinking about um, which makes your work so meaningful because like the social pressures around that sort of thing. Like I thought, we, you know, someone says something confidentially and asks you to keep it quiet. I think the natural inclination of, of an adolescent who's just trying to be accepted, that's like their number one goal mm-hmm. is to be accepted by their peers at that time in one's life. Right. Would be to kind of honor that and like make a friend or at least not lose one but that that's part of why we have to break it down that's why you know in that in that clip that we played at the beginning we mentioned the family thing because you know there's that clee it's not a cliche I think family and sports I think those things are closer than than one might realize who's not in athletics I think about this every football season once I'm three months deep it's very clear to me that I've spent more time with these people in emotionally driven situations than I have with my own family over the course of that time so that they do become sort of a family and I think that is the perfect entry point to a conversation like this so forget about the social stigmas that's like your brother or sister in a way and you need to take care of them they'll forgive you and I always say with Alyssa when she would tell me you have to promise not to tell anyone Mm -hmm. I tell students today that I would rather have had Alyssa be mad at me the rest of junior high all of high school maybe we wouldn't be friends to this day but if it meant that I didn't have to go to her funeral as a 16 year old then it would have been worth it having one adult in their life who cares about them and goes that extra mile and asks them how they're doing or follows up with them uh, after you know, a really hard conversation or something going on at home, can stop someone from taking their life. So, as a coach, looking out for your players 
is so important Mm -hmm. and not only care about caring about them on the field but also off the field yeah and checking in with them and like you said you're with your team so many hours for several months and so you really have that firsthand picture of the athletes and like I said you really want to be looking for that personality change so if a if a kid stops showing up to practice mm-hmm. or is crying a lot or is really irritable with everyone for no reason yeah you want to look at them and say hey is everything okay are you thinking about suicide and that's something that's a really scary question totally. are you are you thinking about killing yourself but you're never going to know the answer unless you ask yeah that that's a tough one that could almost be a professional development workshop on its own like how to get into those questions without feeling you know completely awkward as the coach without putting kids at unease uh making kids uneasy with those kind of questions too you know what i mean that could yeah. that could be its own there's a tact in that that could that maybe could be taught someday that that's a really important thing for coaches to know though i think because i think it is especially at the high school level people take it upon themselves to essentially make a kid tough Right, and I think there is a. I think that is part of it, honestly. Maybe, maybe with different words to to um, help teach a student to be able to handle adversity and to be resilient and and persevere in the face of obstacles. Like that, I think that's. A, I think that absolutely is one of the charges of a coach. And athletics is the perfect setting for that. But then to be able to disengage from that mindset and recognize that you are once after you know practice is over that you're talking to a a young person like a human being and, and ask those kind of questions which are a little more difficult that seems like something that maybe not everyone's aware of right the after practice the hour after practice we're still we're still coaches uh just with a slightly different flavor but uh, you know what i mean i, I think that's important because it's what it's one of the things that we try to do for kids too a, a healthy relationship to competition you don't want to be 100 miles an hour putting your head through a wall 24 7 if you want to be a certain type of athlete, no problem. Um, and maybe it takes a certain type of coach to coach up a certain kind of athlete. But I like that word, if, if you're okay with me using it, disengaging and then um, becoming a straight up human being once practice is over. That seems like an important acknowledgement. Yeah, the culture of any team is gonna start with the coach yeah. and how a coach interacts with the players on the field and off the field is just as important. And so asking those uncomfortable questions could be saving someone's life. And if the coach is willing to ask, it'll show the rest of the team that those questions are okay to ask. And looking out for each other on the field is, again, just as as important as looking out for each other off the field. No question. That's so right. Do you... Do any coaches um, from your athletic career stand out as people who were able to do that, to be uh, both tough and kind or competitive and caring? Yeah, I had several great coaches. Coach Jazorski was one who was able to connect with all of us. Yeah. Um, And I just remember some some different bus rides where he would talk with us about real things, and Mm -hmm. that was important to a lot of us that we were able to have an adult in our lives who actually listened and cared and, you know, gave us advice sometimes and at the same time was able to joke around and 
make us run sprints on the field. So a few other coaches that were instrumental in my high school career uh, was my field hockey coach, Coach Stephanie Nykaza. She was someone who supported us on and off the field, like we've said. She pushed us very hard on the field and Mm -hmm. also was able to laugh with us after practice and and give us a hard time. Um, But we always knew she was someone we could go to to talk. My two lacrosse coaches, Coach Collins and Coach Murray, mm-hmm. were two incredible people who um, who cared about us mm-hmm. um, and motivated us and wanted us to be our very best selves. Okay, so you do a lot of work on college campuses now, correct? Mm-hmm. What does something like that look like? Like if you had to, if, if a college wanted to reach out to Embrace, what would they be expecting? I know you've done work you know, the kind of the coach the coaches or teach the teachers thing with, with RAs, right? Do you, what would a workshop look like potentially? Yeah, so it depends on the college and what their need is. Uh, we went to Illinois Wesleyan and did a train the trainer for mm-hmm. all of their RAs in their residential dorms. Yeah. We've gone on to college campuses and worked with the Greek system. So went to University of Illinois down in Champaign and worked mm-hmm. with a bunch of the girls in the sororities, a bunch of the leadership council yeah and taught them the warning signs and what to look for because you can't help unless you know what to look for totally with Alyssa after Alyssa died I learned what warning signs of depression and suicide were and if I had known before I would have sat there during a presentation just like mine and thought gosh that's Alyssa that's Alyssa that's Alyssa and I would have learned that act message acknowledge care treatment Mm -hmm. and maybe would have known a little better of what to do. Um, so we, we go in and, you know, whether it's through the Greek system or through the RAs, through a, a freshman class, freshman orientation, we'll teach those warning signs, we'll teach the red flags, what to look for in themselves or a friend, and then what to do about it if they are seeing those things. After we educate the students on the warning signs and red flags, they have a chance to take an online screener and this could be for depression for anxiety substance use eating disorders and they can go on the site um, that we purchase for the schools and it's through screening for mental health which is a national nonprofit out of Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and it's about 20 questions uh, depending on the different screeners and at the end of the screener when it asks you know have you been feeling these certain things over the last couple weeks Mm -hmm. and it'll shoot back at the end hey your answers are pretty consistent with depression here are some resources that we have on campus and off campus that would be great if you would if you would use males die by suicide four to one to females Mm -hmm. even though girls attempt two times more and the reason for that is that males use more lethal means. Hmm. Um, firearms are used in over 50% of suicides. Yeah. And so as educators, it's really important for us to, if we know of someone who has a firearm at home or maybe suspect someone has a firearm at home, to talk to those parents. And especially if someone is going through a mental health crisis, to get the firearm out of the house. Yeah. And if for some reason that isn't possible to, to store the firearm and the ammunition in separate locked sure. containers. Yeah, that's intense. I actually, I can't help but think about 
um, suicide and ex-athletes. I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on this, so I, I won't go down the road fully, but I, but I have to touch on it. <clears throat> we t- we've talked before about how, you, like, a high school athlete and, and a 10-year NFL vet, those are different things in, term of, in terms of, well, everything, psychology, physical damage, et cetera, et cetera. If we acknowledge uh, CTE, you've heard of this mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. If we acknowledge it, um, but because it is more ambiguous than people think, yeah, people think, oh, CTE, of course, it does this, this, and this. Because the conversation is, is more complex than that, I will just say that perhaps, not perhaps, I think it's very likely that um, repetitive hits to the head do influence uh, depressive episodes. And not, without going down that path too far, I think one thing to... Uh, acknowledge is that we're talking about human beings who made a life being quote tough right who, who have uh, spent their lives in the public eye in a very physical physically demanding sport where toughness was essential to success and then especially those who went on to play a long time especially athletes who spent a lot of time at the pinnacle of that success so like to really dumb it down, got great at being tough, right? When we talk about suicide in ex-NFL athletes, again, I, I, I don't think that's something that can be overlooked, right? I, I, I think when you've made a life, say you say you end your career in your mid-30s or, or 40 or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden, I'm gonna use that word again, disengage and become part of the real world um, to develop a healthy relationship to talking about your feelings you know, that's, that's completely counterintuitive to someone who spent their entire conscious life kind of masking them or, or cultivating a certain sort of feeling. And that's like anger and aggression. I'm going to blow this guy up. I'm going to, whatever it might be. That seems like something that cannot be overlooked. So not to discount the fact that head trauma would maybe move someone in the direction of depressive episodes, but that the conversations surrounding that sort of human being needs to be cracked open and completely um, opened up. So, and, and I guess it lends, I, I guess that conversation lends itself to a, a discussion that we have often, I'll kind of cap it here, um, a, what, what we're calling a return to life protocol for athletes. Uh, meaning like, how do you now interface with the world? Right, like you don't, like to be tough and competitive is fine but to be open to conversation and acknowledge that that you are human. It seems like there ought to be more teaching done uh, for those transitioning from the highly competitive life of, say, an NFL or NHL athlete into the regular world. Because you talk about silent sufferers, um, those are guys who are intentionally, you hear this all the time, this guy was so gregarious and he was so you know, whatever, he was hard as nails, and that absolutely could be the mask hiding the very real issue that needs to be addressed. You know, I, I've, I've said this many times, the, the link from, from head trauma to suicide is not a clear one. The link to head, from head trauma to depression might be, but as you've said, like, there are things that we can do about that. You know, and there's certainly a spectrum of, of damage, and, you know, depression lies on a spectrum as well, of course. Uh, but but that seems like something an idea that needs to be opened up, so we can prevent things like that in the future for sure. Okay, well this is all incredible information. Um, I'm gonna ask for some quick takeaways if you don't mind. One takeaway, one kind of absolute for someone who might be suffering. Something I would say to someone who's suffering is that 
you are not alone, that help is available, and by asking for help, you are being strong. That is not a weakness. And what if I were, what if I had someone on my team or a classmate who I, who I thought might be suffering? What's one thing that I need to know? I would apply the ACT message. Mm -hmm. I would acknowledge those warning signs that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. I would let your teammate know that you care about them, that you love them, that they don't have to feel this way. And then I would tell my coach, I would tell my parents, I would tell someone, tell an adult who can get your friend help. Really, really good advice. I think so often um, the C part, the care part, uh, we hear this story all the time, just what a difference it made in someone's life just to know explicitly and undoubtedly that there's someone out there that cares about me. That's the kind of thing that we should we think should be an absolute on teams. That's why we're so excited to incorporate your work into our work as often as possible. And how would people find you? Well, they could find us on social media at, at EmbraceMH. They could look us up at EmbraceMH.org. And the MH is mental health. The MH Embrace. is mental health. Yeah. Embrace mental health. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.